When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Hello, listeners, and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 297 of Sustainable Minimalists, a twice-weekly show about intentional and eco-minimalist living. On today's show, we are discussing the kids' clothes problem. More than 20 billion pounds of clothing is thrown away every year, and much of it is children's clothing. That's because we tend to think of children's clothing in particular as single-use disposables. How many times have we put our children in an outfit that they wore once and then that was it? The other problem is that children grow so darn quick, so they cycle through clothes at a much faster rate than the rest of us. Today, I am speaking with Laurel Thompson about the history of heavily gendered fast fashion clothes for kids. How did we get here and how can you and me and anyone who has ever bought or will ever buy a children's outfit again, how can we do better? Laurel used to be the girls' accessory designer for Carter's and international listeners. If you don't know what Carter's is, Carter's is essentially the number one fast fashion baby and kids brand here in the United States. So she used to work for Carter's, but these days Laurel is the founder of Bayamade.com, which creates expandable clothes that grow with children. Laurel, so excited to talk to you today. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I am hot, but good. (laughs) I've done a lot of episodes on the problems with the fashion industry, and those episodes tend to be geared towards adults, women's fashion in particular. Would you say that the problems, and we're going to get into the problems in a minute, but would you say that the problems with regard to children's fashion in particular are not as bad? worse or just about the same as adult fashion? I'm going to say worse because I think one of our biggest challenges as a society in the U.S. is that we really do think of babies and children's clothing as disposable. I think as adults, when we buy fast fashion out of convenience or style or whatever, we're not really thinking that we're planning on throwing these clothes out. You know, we may start out with good intentions, but I think with children's wear, we really tend to expect that our children are going to trash them and that they're going to end up getting tossed. Textile and fashion is the second most polluting industry on earth next to oil. So we really want to try and avoid throwing these things into the trash. 
And also because a lot of children's wear is made of plastic fibers. So like polyester, spandex, acetate, microfiber, and that stuff doesn't break down. So I'm gonna I'm gonna vote for worse. I want to start today's conversation by taking a wide lens, a longitudinal lens, if you will. Let's talk about the history of kids' fashion. What did it used to look like? How did it change? And specifically, how did we get to where we are today, in which we buy kids' clothes, we're fine if they wear them once, because they are often so cheap, we're fine if the kid never gets to wear them, and then we either discard of them or pass them on. How did we get here? If you're lucky enough, like I am, to have photos of your grandparents as children, you will notice that they are wearing white and they're all wearing dresses. So as recently in history as our grandparents' generation, I'm an old mom. So my grandfather was born in the early 1900s, but I have great pictures of his, him and his brother and sister, and they're all wearing white dresses. And my grandfather was the oldest, and he was about six years old wearing a white dress. So gendered fashion for children is like pretty much a 20th century invention. Before that, all children wore the same types of clothing and garments, and it was white. They wore the same types of garments being a dress because it was much easier for diaper changes. And it was white because it could be bleached easily. And back then they didn't really have the washing technology that we have now. So it was just much easier to wash everything and bleach it with when it was white fabrics. And so that started to change in the 20th century. It started with pastel, adding in pastel colors for babies. But most people don't know that pink was originally the color for boys and blue was for girls. And the thinking was that Pink was a softer version of a stronger color like red. And the blue, pastel blue, was like the softer, more gentle color for girls. And obviously that over time flipped. But it started out like that. And then as the Industrial Revolution happened and clothing began to be more mass-produced in factories, that's when the shift really began to happen. So honestly, marketing created the split in gender dressing and That sort of ebbed and flowed over time. With the rise of feminism, there was a move back towards gender-neutral clothing. When I look at my baby pictures, I wore a lot of rainbows and yellow. And then in the 80s, a couple of things started to happen. The technology evolved so that people could find out the gender of their child before the sex of their child before birth. And also that is when manufacturing started to move away from the United States and overseas where it could be produced more cheaply. So in order to sell you more clothing, they started to really heavily gender the clothes. It became a lot less expensive and people were more invested in it because they knew before the baby was even born what sex it would be. I'm thinking back to my childhood and certainly my mother's childhood. My grandmother sewed and made an awful lot of my mother's clothes. So we're talking the 1950s and then I'm an 80s baby and my mom was and still is 
a menace on the sewing machine. She didn't make all my clothes by any stretch of the imagination, but she did make some. And my grandmother, a menace with some knitting needles, she knitted me more sweaters than I had time to wear, starting as an infant all the way up to when I was too cool to wear them as a teenager. Do you have any thoughts on the transition from we're literally with our own hands infusing love into the clothes by making them, that transition to let's have them mass produced and buy them cheap? First of all, you're so lucky that you had that experience. I did too. My grandmother taught my mom to sew and she taught me to sew. And my grandmother used to make a lot of their clothes because my mom was a working mom. She didn't make a lot of mine, but they know. And anybody who sews knows that if you're going to go to the time and trouble to pour your heart into making a garment for a child, you want them to wear it for a long time. (laughs) You don't want them to just outgrow it. So what I find so interesting is that the way the clothes were constructed changed because of that exact thing. When clothes were handmade, longevity was extremely important because the clothes, if you didn't make them yourself, you had to buy them and they were really expensive. When clothing became mass produced, that was so much less important. And as most American mothers started to work, and it's at the point now where we really have to work in order to maintain any kind of standard of living, there's no time to do that. And so whatever is cheapest and most convenient is usually what we reach for first, either because that's our habit or because out of necessity, that's all we can do. Hmm. What I hear you saying there is that our way of acquiring or creating children's clothes have changed, but deeper than that is our values have changed. Pre-industrial revolution, not even pre-industrial revolution, I'm an 80s baby and things were different then when I was growing up. We cared for our stuff. We mended our stuff. I didn't mend them. I was a baby, but my mom mended stuff. We wanted to extend the longevity of these baby clothes for future babies that we have for future babies that our community has, our friends, etc. But these days, there's no caring for our stuff. There's no caring for the fast fashion. So talk to me about baby and young kid fashion. You call it an environmental train wreck. Why is it an environmental train wreck? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting when I started in children's wear, I worked for Carter's, which is the largest manufacturer of baby and toddler clothing, at least in the country, if not planet earth, their tagline, it's a very old company. It was established in the 1800s, but Their tagline used to be, if only they could stay little until their Carters wore out, because the value of the brand was quality. If you walk into any Carters store now, you're not going to see that because Carters has become the quintessential fast fashion brand. You can buy, I think you can buy PJs now for $4 in the holiday season, and they're all made of plastics. When I first got that job, it was exciting because it was like, oh, you know, little cute little clothes and little characters and it's fun and it's all on trend and you get to make these babies look like little adults. It's so fun. But once I really got into it and realized what types of fabrics we were using, cotton, of course, but cotton is a really imperfect fiber. It's the most chemically treated crop on earth. It's very thirsty, meaning it takes a lot of water to grow. 
And it's often grown in countries that already suffer from water scarcity. And there's also an ethics problem with the labor force. I'm sure if you follow politics at all, all you're familiar with the Uyghur people in China. They basically work as slave labor, and a lot of times they work in the cotton industry. So you can't really even be sure that the cotton clothes that you're buying was not made by people who have been enslaved. So that's a big deal. And and then if it's not made of cotton, it's often made of, like I said earlier, plastic fibers. So polyester, spandex, all of that stuff is actually made from plastic pellets that are melted down and extruded through a machine that creates these long and strong, they actually are strong fibers. The problem is that they don't ever break down. And if children's clothing is made of plastic that is going pretty quickly into a landfill, that's a huge problem. And on top of that, the dyeing processes that we use create a lot of toxicity into our waterways because the dyes are very toxic. Okay, so a lot of problems there. (laughs) I must say I have family members in my family who Christmas comes around, a birthday comes around, And there are boxes and boxes filled with Carter's clothes. Carter's clothes are affordable. I suppose that would be the nicer way of saying inexpensive, cheap. And so then on the other side of the spectrum would be buying the really expensive kids' clothes. Maybe even, dare I use the word, designer clothes. That doesn't sound right to me either because, let's be real, they're kids. They don't care what they're wearing. They're going to stain it and ruin it anyway. So... The best way, in your opinion, I think I know the answer, but what's the best way to clothe your child? Yeah, I think designers are really not that much better, to be honest. The designer clothing is also made in overseas factories. I don't think most of them are particularly conscious of the materials or processes that they use. These days, it's hard to even tell what you can trust because it just seems like every single thing is totally greenwashed and Organic fabric just doesn't mean much anymore. The number one most sustainable thing that you can do is buy secondhand. So (laughs) find, if you live in a city, find your reliable secondhand shop that you can always go to to get what you need. And I think it's also important to put the responsibility back in the hands of the consumer because in terms of organic and sustainable fashion, we're putting all of our eggs in the fabrication basket. We're expecting that the fabric is organically grown or sustainably created, but we're not thinking much about the way that we're going to use it. So as far as I'm concerned, an organic t-shirt or a regular t-shirt, if you're only going to wear it once or twice for three months and then pass it on, the difference is negligible. What I'd really love to see people start doing is using their things more and buying, knowing that they're going to use them more. So Yeah, go to the secondhand shop, but also look for the natural fibers. Look at the seams and see how they're constructed. Don't let cost be your number one driver of your purchase. Think about longevity if you can. It's obviously a luxury. Not everybody can do this, but if you can, just think twice. I mean, you're actually going to spend the same amount of money because you're either going to buy two of something that won't last or you're going to buy one of something that will. Hmm. Laurel, you touched on what we should be looking for when we're shopping for children's clothing and children's outfits. We shouldn't be looking for what is the cutest sailor outfit or 
what is the frilliest dress as a show that talks a lot about conscious consumerism. After our break, I want to talk to you as a designer. What do you look for when shopping for kids clothes? We're going to get into all of that after a quick word from our sponsor. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items, and yet somehow we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch. They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. And we are back with Laurel Thompson. She is the founder of BayaMade.com. Laurel, before the break, you had alluded to looking at quality when shopping for kids' clothes. What does that mean? What should parents, what should grandparents, what should anybody who ever in the future is ever going to buy a children's outfit, what should they be looking for beyond the frills, beyond the adorableness of the thing in question? I'm glad you mentioned grandparents because I think they can sometimes be the worst offenders about this, partly just from lack of knowledge on the topic, but also because I think they're just helpless against especially the seasonal things. So the little Halloween shirts that have a jack-o'-lantern or a witch on them, the Christmas jammies, the things that you can literally only wear like one or two times. And then what are you going to do with it? No one else can wear it for the rest of the year either. It can only be worn once a year. So I would say, first of all, just Avoid the seasonal things that can't actually be worn more than one or two times before they are outgrown. And then especially for babies, when you're not necessarily sure what your family planning looks like, try to opt for things that are more unisex. Because if you are going to have another child, obviously you do not know what sex they're going to be. 
And if you really want to get the most out of your clothing, like it's good to to choose things that your child can wear a long time, but it's even better to pass them on to a sibling. And so if it's important to you that you, you know, dress your child in a way that indicates their sex, which to a lot of people, that's not important at all. But if it is, you know, choose things that kind of fall right in the middle so that they can be repurposed for another child. If you're not going to have another child, you can just find a neighbor or a friend or a relative that you can pass it on and it won't matter what sex their child is either. So that's a big one. And then, you know, fabrication, like I said, plastic fibers are actually pretty darn strong. So buying secondhand polyester, I would say is not the biggest sin on earth. We probably do want to avoid that just because those plastic fibers tend to shed into the water, like into your laundry and that goes into the waterways. So I don't like plastic fibers for that reason, but you can buy mesh bags to wash them in and you can put a filter. So that's solvable. But natural fibers just tend to be more sustainable and they may not be quite as durable, but they're better for your child's skin for sure. And they're better for the environment. So natural fibers probably take precedence for me. And then you also want to look at the weight of the fabric. I really like twill. Twill is not a type of fiber, but it's a weave and it's a really strong weave. So many pants are made out of twill and you can recognize it because you know how like jeans, you can almost see there's like a diagonal, teeny tiny diagonal like stripe to the weave. That's a twill. So twills are really, really durable. So if you can find things like that are made of twill, that's great. I love linen in the warmer months because it's 30% stronger than cotton it's extremely sustainable because it actually doesn't really require much. It doesn't require any pesticide and it survives on rainwater. So it's just a great sustainable fabric and it's extremely durable. Most people get a little confused about how to care for it. You actually don't have to do anything special except just don't put it in the dryer because it'll shrink. So you can wash it with the rest of your stuff and then just hang it up. And because it's so lightweight, it dries really quickly. So I love linen. And then actually take the time to inspect the inside of the garment. You can see if there are any like buttons hanging loose. You can see if threads are loose or coming apart. And that's going to make a big difference because a lot of fast fashion is falling apart at the store. (laughs) So take a look at the inside and just make sure that it looks like it's well constructed and isn't already coming apart. That may seem like a no brainer, but I don't think most people do look inside, you know, you just grab it off the rack and you're ready to go and you find out later when it's too late. Especially because unless you have an older child, they're not going to be trying the item on in the store. That's when I think the falling apart becomes evident, right? When you're stretching it, pulling on the zipper, buttoning it up, that's when the the snags, so to speak, in the design or in the manufacturing really become evident. With baby and young kids' clothes, you're just buying by size, you're buying by cuteness, and you're buying by price. But what I hear you saying is, let's go a little bit deeper. Let's be a little bit more intentional or conscious in our clothes consumption. I want to talk to you really quickly again about grandparents or aunts and uncles. You mentioned that they are perhaps the worst offenders. Do you have any tips for gently, nicely, respectfully helping grandparents and other relatives step away from the cheap children's fast fashion? Like, How do you convey a different way to them? 
I'm going to be honest, I haven't figured it out myself because I like to joke that my mother is completely helpless against the like sale rack at Costco and she still to this day will bring home ridiculous outfits for my daughter. And every time I'm like, this is probably made by enslaved people. I am a literal eco children's wear designer. Like, I cannot believe that you did this. And much of the time I make her take it back. So I haven't figured that out for myself. I think everybody has a different relationship with their parents. This can be a touchy subject because they really are just trying to help. But just try to be honest with them and tell them what you're trying to do and tell them why. I mean, honestly, I hate to talk about the climate crisis, which I actually call a mass extinction because that's what it really is. It's hard to talk about that next to baby clothes, which should be a very happy subject. But this is the number one most challenging problem our children's generation will face. Like literally nothing could be more important for their health and their safety than taking care of the planet and considering how bad fast fashion is for the environment. It's like the easiest thing you can do and just avoid that stuff. So if they want to be involved, tell them the brands that you do like and say, you know, what would be really meaningful to me is a gift card from this place. Um, I don't know that that's going to be effective, but give them options. That's how you deal with your toddlers. Give them choices. Give your parents choices too. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) I know that your company, Baya Made, does a lot of things differently when it comes to baby and young kids clothing. So tell me all about it. Yeah, so I had my child while I was working at Carter's. And I'll be honest, before I had a baby, I didn't get it. <laughs> like I didn't understand the problem. I didn't really realize how quickly children would grow out of their clothes. And then I had a baby and I was like, whoa, I'm just sitting here making like really cute trash. This is going to go straight to a landfill and there's nothing I can do about it. And that is not my life's purpose. When she was about a year old, I started just because I sew and I like to do that. I started researching more traditional patterns and I found a really cool romper pattern from the 1920s. And I just noticed it was made totally differently. It's almost as if they were thinking ahead Like this needs to have features that would allow it to adjust so the child can wear it longer for the exact reasons that you mentioned earlier, which is that if you're going to take the time to make something by hand, you want it to last. And so I just started thinking, this is really like a different way of solving a major problem. I think as a designer, I had always felt a little bit helpless against it. Like I just draw pictures, man. You know, like I don't know how to save the planet. This was like a way that I could make a difference. And so I decided to take that concept and I did a lot of testing and research and I created a very minimal, simple line of clothing that had the features that those clothes had that would allow them to adjust over time. And they're not rocket science. It's like the straps are a little longer, but they have multiple rows of snaps or the crotch extension comes out longer and it has an extra set of snaps. So you can make that part smaller. The tops are made without restrictive shoulder seams so that as the child's shoulders get broader, they're not restricted. Just little things like that. And I chose really super durable fabrics so that they would hold up to a lot of wear and tear. It's all gender neutral. You know, I really just tried to go down the list of like, how can we do this better? Like, how can we make better baby toddler clothes? I'm looking at your website right now and your clothes that you've designed have 
a real timeless quality to them. There's no sequins. There's no ridiculous phrases that <laughs> make no sense. <laughs> there's no bright, crazy colors. There's no trendiness to them. Laurel, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show, giving us a history of kids fashion. It was an enlightening conversation. I wish you so much success. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This was a treat. Listeners, that's a wrap. Show notes are at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 297. I'll be back on Thursday where we are discussing natural gas, gas stoves, and everything in between. Oh my, stay tuned for that. I'll see you Thursday and take care.